Good morning. I was asked to uh, say a word about uh, who I am, introduce myself. My name is Stephen Broom. I preached a few weeks ago, uh, but some of you may not have been here. We, my family and I moved here a little over a year and a half ago to be in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina, and just a uh, sinner saved by grace, saint. I've been saved by grace. I'm one of you. Uh, it's nice to meet you. I, I married my wife, Jamie, amazing wife back there, and two children. Blessed to be here this morning. Need to hear this message probably more than you do. <clears throat> if you would do me a favor, I want you to do this again if you were here a few weeks ago. I want you to reach in here. Some of you are already reaching. Thank you. Uh, get in your wallet and pull out a credit card, debit card, a $100 bill, or some sort of change in which we use to live, spend, do. It's our life a lot of times. I want us to hold on to this during the duration of the message. At the end of the message, we're going to hold on to something else, and I want it to mean something to you. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, we have been striving to attain that which always seems to be just outside of of our reach. Sin created a void in our life, a void that was filled with God. God's the one that met our every deepest longings, but we ask God to get out and give us the option of trying to fill the void, find the happiness our own way. So ever since We've been trying to fill that and find pleasure in meaning in lesser pleasures. We've learned to sort of come to peace with the absence of peace in our life. We just stay busy and and do life. We make lemonade from lemons, and we just know that one day we're going to die, and if we're saved, go to heaven, and everything will be made right. In chapter 3, we have the consequences of Genesis. We have the consequences of sin, the demonstration of the incredible mercy of God on our behalf. We see ourselves going from my way, or actually from trusting God to my way and trusting self and God dis trust where ownership and possession means more and greed and leads to all manner of sin. In chapter 4, we have the very beginning of life as we know it with imputed sin. And it doesn't take but three people into planet earth before we are, we are trying to be fulfilled in stuff, possessions, Greed, which would lead to anger and murder. When you add a sin nature to hard labor and successful productivity, you start to get a grip on things instead of a grip on God. We were created to watch the earth, to care for the earth, to rule over the earth, to worship God, but we quickly became owners. 
I want you to pay careful attention this morning just because this theme, it is a theme of my life that God is uh, just constantly speaking to me. But this theme of an owner heart, of gripping onto possessions, runs from Genesis to Revelation, and we're in there. And this will be, this is one of our greatest struggles in our Christian journey. And so let's read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Let me pause here. And when she gives the description or the reason, or when the author gives us the reason or the meaning of the name, it's not just trivial news. She said, and this is the meaning of Cain, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Another way to say that is, I have acquired a man with God. I have made a man with the Lord's help. No doubt this was probably the greatest possession that Adam and Eve had. They had seen the animals procreate. But the reproduction of human life at this point was unprecedented. You take our large appendages and you put them in mini form and you have adorable. Have you ever seen a cute couple and thought to yourself, or maybe out loud, I bet they make a good looking baby. We have the first two human masterpieces created by God and they make a baby if there ever was a beautiful cute newborn Cain was it and Eve named him an acquisition from the Lord it could have been out of a heart of gratitude I don't know but quite probably Cain was in their minds Adam and Eve in their minds was the child of promise, the child that would destroy the enemy. Remember the promise or the curse that God said in Genesis 3.15 against Satan. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now we understand who that was, but at the time, likely that Cain and, or Adam and Eve thought Cain was this child of promise. He was not to be, but there was possibly this possession of their amazing child. And it's dangerous when we begin to possess our kids. Subtle, but dangerous. That leads us then in, as we go on in Genesis 4, I believe it's the beginning of when we think of ourselves as owners, but we've never been owners. We've only been placed on this earth to watch it, care for it, rule over it, bring glory to God, but we don't own anything. When the children of Israel were headed to the promised land, the land that God promised Abraham, I will give you that land. And he promised the Israelites, I will give you 
this land. In Leviticus 25, 23, he says, the land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine and you are only foreigners and temporary residents on my land. It's like today, you and I do not own our houses. The bank does. But even if you sort of own it outright, you built that house on someone else's land. If you don't pay your property taxes, the government can take that away from you. It's theirs. God is the only owner. I love what A.W. Tozer says in The Pursuit of God. He's talking about Abraham and when he offered Isaac, but this understanding of Abraham's heart. Tozer says, I think the words my and mine never had again the same meaning for Abraham. The sense of possession which they connote was gone from his heart. Things had been cast out forever. They had now become external to the man. His inner heart was free from them. The world said, Abraham is rich, but the aged patriarch only smiled. He could not explain it to them, but he knew that he owned nothing, that his real treasures were inward and eternal. Tozer goes on to say, there can be no doubt that this possessive clinging to things is one of the most harmful habits in the life because it is so natural it is rarely recognized for the evil that it is but its outworkings are tragic the outline this morning the owner heart which i've been discussing the remedy for the owner heart and the results of the owner heart let's continue with the story verse 2 then she also gave birth to his brother Abel, which means breath or vapor, maybe a prophetic understanding of the brevity of life, particular for Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. Does the problem start here with their choice of occupation? I don't believe so. I believe what we have here is God-ordained beginning of an economy of exchange. God just called Cain to watch and work the ground. He called Abel to watch and work sheep. The law of God has been written on our hearts. And so Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, understand that they are to give back to the owner what is rightfully his. That's natural. That's right. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Cain was livid and it was written all over his face. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? There was a problem with the gift. Was the problem with the gift because it was given in the course of time? I don't think so. Abel's gift was given in the course of time. And that could mean the Sabbath. It could mean the end of the harvest. I don't think that was the problem. Was it because the gift was a fruit of the ground instead of fruit of the flock? I don't think that's the reason either because throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the fruit of the ground and the fruit of the flock are acceptable offerings. I believe the problem in the gift is the sum of. God accepted Abel's sum and thus accepted Abel. God turned his face away from, turned his favor, turned his blessing away from Cain's sum and consequently Cain. And so I think we need to look at Abel's gift to discover the remedy for the owner heart. I want you to take something home with you today, just a phrase, I want you to commit it to memory, may not make so much sense at first, but I just want you to take it with you. Faith is in the first, friendship is in the fat. So do me a favor, say that with me. Faith is in the first, friendship is in the fat. Faith is demonstrated when we give the first. And Abel gave some of the firstborn. Exodus chapter 22 describes it, give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your flock. God wants the first. Our giving should require faith, for without faith it is impossible to please God. So our giving should require faith, and giving the first requires faith. Watch this. If you have a mommy sheep and a daddy sheep and they come together and they make a baby sheep, what do you have to exchange or consume? The baby. You can't exchange and consume mommy and daddy because then there will be nothing else to exchange or consume consume later. How costly is the gift when you give the firstborn? How much faith does it take to give the firstborn? What if mommy and daddy don't make any more babies and you gave the first? How costly was that gift? Abel gave the first in faith and he at that point he doesn't know if he's just given 10 percent, 30 percent, 50 percent, or a hundred percent. Our gifts should require faith. So let me challenge you to think about something. When you gave in the offering a few moments ago, or if you didn't give in the offering, maybe give online, or if you do it every couple of weeks and it wasn't today, just remember, recall the last time you gave. Was there any sense of uh, maybe a little pinch, maybe a little bit of discomfort when you gave it? 
as a result of giving the tithe or the first? Did you ever think or have a conversation with God that sounded something like, uh, God, now I'm going to need you to show up because the remainder is not enough to pay my bills. That's giving a gift that requires faith. Faith is in the first. Friendship is in the fat. Abel also gave some of the fat portions. The fat represents the best part. He gave the best right off the top. My mom was raised on a dairy farm, and so as a child, I spent a little bit of time on the farm. And the cows would get milked, and that milk would drain into this huge refrigerated tank. And in that tank, the richest, thickest, fattiest portion of the milk would rise to the top as the cream. And back in the day, you could open the tank, take a cup, scrape the cream right off the top, and drink it. Now, some of you are cringing at the thought of that, but that's the best part. Or maybe think of it this way, when you go home today and you're grilling a sizzling steak and you put it on your plate and you take a bite of the little, the, the slimy piece of the fat. I know you're gagging, some of you are gagging right now, but that's rich in flavor and it's the best part. God loves the fat. And when we give him the fat, we've given him the best in demonstration of our adoration, our love for him, our worship, our friendship. Faith is in the first. Friendship is in the fat. Leviticus 3.16 says, all the fat belongs to the Lord. Eli, a priest, was rebuked in 1 Samuel. You have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all of the offerings of my people, Israel. Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were literally getting fat off the fat. Exodus 22, bring the best of your first fruits of your land to the house of the Lord your God. God isn't counting calories, and he's not on a diet. He's not trying to save the animals. He owns them, and he loves the fat. And Abel gave the fat the best portion, and so we know and read in Hebrews 11, for by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. Listen. Abel is speaking this morning, challenging us to give the first and the best, recognizing that God is provider and we demonstrate our love for him when we give the best. Abel demonstrated it, and several thousand years later, God would send his best, his first, 
his one and only son so that you and I as sinners might put our faith and trust and believe in him and have eternal life. God has given to us his son for salvation, not so that we can have a life of pleasure and ease, but so that we can give back to him a life abundantly, giving back to him the best portion for the glory of God. R.C. Sproul says, vainly do we assume our devotion is acceptable if it is done without faith. As Abel's example proves, true worshipers will give the first and best of their time, money, and possessions to God. Let me challenge you again this morning to figure out what it looks like to give the best part back to God. That quite probably means that you give until it is a little uncomfortable that you give in such a way that the numbers don't add up and you can't afford to give it. It's possible that he would call you to give in a way that when you look at the numbers, you're going to outlive your savings. Give in faith the best, not after you can't figure out what to do with your money and what else to buy, but rather before and in such a way that you may not be able to buy because you gave it. We need, we need to understand that God doesn't need our money. But he has hardwired us so that our gifts reflect our faith and our friendship Our gifts have the ability to release our grip from things. And look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Get our eyes off of the stuff of this world and onto him in worship and adoration. Let me speak to the results of the owner heart as reflected in Cain. Cain has given some, not the first and not the best, but simply to gain favor and hopefully be able to continue successful multiplication. He did not do right. His gift was not accepted. Therefore, God did not look with favor on Cain. God sees Cain festering, fuming, boiling in anger. And God says something to Cain that needs to ring in our ears this morning and echo throughout this week. Genesis 4-7. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, listen, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you. Its desire is to devour you, and you must rule over it. The sin that is crouching at the door of Cain, I believe, is his owner heart, which leads to idolatry, covetousness, envy, hatred, violence, and murder. Cain has a heart only 
for profit. It's the Balaam heart that's described in Jude chapter 1. Woe to them, for they have traveled in the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. And Jude would go on to say, these people are discontented grumblers walking according to their own desires. I do that myself. Cain and his sin of the owner heart has passed down to me. He was a part of the creative process and as a result of that took ownership and he passed down to me this sin, this heart of discontent and walking according to my own desires. A heart to have more. A heart only for God's favor so that I can increase, so that my life can be easier. It's the Pharisee heart that Jesus described in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. He calls the Pharisees snakes, brood of vipers. This Pharisee heart is the owner heart thinking that I created this wealth and it's mine. This heart is devastating. God knew it. Told Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. This heart is devastating. We must rule over it. Sin and Satan are at our door seeking to devour us. And so 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be serious. Be alert. The lion is crouching. It's hidden from our sight. And the more ignorant we are, the more unaware of its presence in our life, the more likely it is to destroy us. Sin is just waiting for us to get lazy and apathetic towards spiritual wickedness. Sin is just waiting for the flesh to get the better of us. Sin is waiting for us to believe, to be content in our ability to handle it, to trust ourselves and and not trust the Spirit of God and to say, it's okay. But it's not okay. Sin will eat our lunch. We all know the pain that sin has wreaked, the havoc in our personal lives our personal battles, our struggles, our marriages, our children, relationships, our our bondages, our society, we must rule over it. Timothy Keller says, first, we do sin, and then sin does us. Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will catch up with you. It caught up to Cain and destroyed him and was catastrophic for the first family. I believe there is a direct correlation between this owner heart and the emptiness that we feel the inability to find satisfaction and contentment and life here on this earth. It's that which Jesus talked about in the parable of the seed 
and the sower. It's the seed that fell on the thorny grounds. It's the worries of this life and the desire for other things that choke the word so that week in and week out, you come to the service and you walk out those doors and you come back and you're still not having the victory over the sin. Your struggles are the same. Your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your husband, your relationship with your children, the battles at work, the, the internal battles and struggles and addictions and body still the same. Why? Because our bondage to this stuff chokes the word from accomplishing its purpose. But Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you put this away, put it in your pocket? Because in a moment, we're going to hold on to something else. We're going to be reminded of the price that was paid to give us victory. The price that was paid so that we could have life. Remember him this morning. Love on him this morning. Worship him this morning. Would you pray with me with your eyes open? I want you to follow along on the screen. May this be our prayer. As Tozer says, Father, we want to know you. We want to have intimacy with you. We want you to be our favorite, our possession, our all, but our coward hearts fear to give up our toys. We fear to give up our bank accounts. We fear to give up our stuff. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide that from you, the terror of this parting. We come trembly, trembling, but we do come. And so, Father, we do ask that you would root from our hearts all those things which we have cherished so long, which have become a part of our living self so that you may enter and dwell here without rival. There's no competition. You're the one. You are our all. We owe nothing. And then, dear Father, you May take your place. May your feet be glorious. And then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for you will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.